Some call me Steve, Dad, Husband or Friend. Others might call me Boss, Coach or Mentor. Today you can call me the Leadership Hacker. Thanks for listening in, I really appreciate it. My job as the Leadership Hacker is to hack into the minds, experiences, habits and learning of great leaders, C-suite executives, authors and development experts so that I can assist you developing your understanding and awareness of leadership. I'm Steve Rush and I'm your host today. I'm the author of Leadership Cake, I'm a transformation consultant and leadership coach and can't wait to start sharing all things leadership with you. Today's special guest is Kevin McCarney. He's a successful entrepreneur, restaurant chain owner, speaker and mentor. He's also the author of Big Brain, Little Brain. But before we get a chance to speak with Kevin, it's a Leadership Hacking News. There's a communications theme in today's show. So having spoke to hundreds and hundreds of leaders around the world, we've distilled the top five communication hacks to get us going. For many of us, and for many companies and industries around the world, communication has changed drastically. And for many of us, our tried and tested communications methods may no longer work as they used to. Now this might not seem like a big deal, right? But considering how many online collaboration tools there are available, even the choice of your online tool can make a difference to how you're communicating based on quality and experience. And when we change our communications channels, we fundamentally change how we also communicate, whether that's conscious or unconscious. So in the transition to remote working, we all knew video would be an important thing. And a lot of us still try to avoid using video. If we've had a bad hair day or we're feeling lousy, or we just want to put some really casual clothes on, Think of how many video conference calls you've had where most of the participants have kept the camera off. What's happening for you unconsciously? Well, Tracy Brower, author of The Secrets of Happiness at Work, says it's a mistake to avoid using video. And she outlines those reasons as video demonstrates responsibility, communicates confidence, will help build trust and rapport, will help you engage, and video can make you memorable to other people. And Tracy goes on to explain, of course, video may not be appropriate all of the time, but situations where it's preferable, take the advantage of making yourself known. When we start skipping into writing, many of our in-person conversations have turned into emails, MS Teams messages, texts, notes in project management apps, and intuitively we tend to send simple texts or messages. But the problem is, is that you lose a lot of context when you turn your verbal words into text. Business communications expert James Chartland explains what this means. He says, We can't see smiles or friendly expressions. We can't hear a person's voice when we read an email. We're missing the details that help us perceive the mood of the moment. All we see are blunt words, black and white. Lacking those important visual and auditory cues makes us fill in the gaps. So hacks when writing, ask, don't tell. Direct instructions can often seem as demands. Try and avoid using exclamation points or overusing them. But if you do want to make a sentence sound upbeat or happy, then that's the right time to make a statement appear less flat. Start your message with a disclaimer. 
if you're given feedback or addressing a difficult topic, start with a sentence that says you're writing with kindness and a smile. Positivity helps. When you're communicating, explain your intent. It might seem obvious, but there is a real short of digital body language when you were online and on our Teams or Zoom or Slack meetings. And because there are less physical cues to clarify our intent, people assign meaning to all sorts of non-verbal things that we are trying to say but do so unconsciously. So the hack here is by stating intent early, people understand where this comes from, where the message comes from, and it removes the ability for them to start deciphering their own meaning of what you're trying to say. Use storytelling to make your message more engaging. Think of how many dull meetings you've been into where you just didn't really get to understand what the desired outcome would be. The hack here is to zoom out, to think bigger before we go deeper. And sometimes we get so enamoured in the deliverable, we lose sight of the larger story or the larger strategy, and we focus too much on the detail. And sure, detail is incredibly important. But if people understand how it connects to a bigger story, they're more likely to pay attention more likely to take action. And finally, focus on your communications by creating an experience. Jennifer McClure, CEO of Unbridled Talent and Disrupt HR says that the adoption of a new communication tech wasn't always as strategic as it could have been. Jennifer says that a major failure of adding in new communication technologies is they're often implemented without a clear goal, which leaves holes in our internal communications, and other communications tools get added to patch these up and in turn it makes a mess of the whole communication system. But as communicators, we own it. It's up to us to create an experience that unifies the people that are paying attention. So use one platform, but use other tools if they add value. If they don't, ditch them. That's been the Leadership Hacker News today. We always love hearing your stories, so please continue to get in touch. Kevin McCartney is our special guest on today's show. He's a successful entrepreneur, founder and CEO of Paquito Mass, chain of restaurants. He's a speaker, mentor, and author, and his latest book is called Big Brain, Little Brain. Kevin, we're delighted to have you on the show. It's a pleasure to be here, Steve. Thank you so much for your time. So you have a really great story to tell, and I'd love to kind of get into a little bit about how you arrived doing what you're doing today, because it's not a traditional route that you took, and actually involved a little bit of an epiphany along the way. So maybe tell us a little bit about the backstory. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, I, I grew up in a very, very big family where um, um, winning the argument was the, the rite of passage. Uh, I had four older brothers, two younger sisters and my parents, and we were constantly um, arguing about different things. So I, I learned how to win the argument. I learned how to, to deal with lots of different situations because we moved so much. I think we moved eight times before I was 11. And so I, I got used to dealing with reading people before I could even read a book. And I, I went to work early and I got a job at uh, Universal Studios uh, when I was about 19 and I became a tour guide there. And I thought, oh, this is really cool. All I have to do is say the same thing every day and, 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 and I'm good, right? And I, I don't really have to pivot very much. I don't have to think really. And so it's like, it was fun for me. But then I, it was one particular day, you know, I'm this 19-year-old snarky kid. And there was a really hot day. The trams were breaking down because they, it was over 110 degrees. And all of a sudden, uh, I got a, a, a call over the speaker, Kevin, tram on the right. They're all yours. Uh, it's a group uh, from Europe. They are not happy. Good luck. 
So with that, I, I, I walked down the tram and I tried to make smiles and make it say hello to people. And they were arms crossed, brows furrowed. They were just not going to look at me at all. I get to the front and the, the leader of the group grabs my arm. He says, take us back to the bus. We don't want to do this anymore. You, you can't, you can't do this to us. And I looked at him. I said, sir, that's way above my pay grade, but you're going to have to sit down because we're moving. And the driver heard me and he immediately started moving the van. So that, and this is a three car tram. So I have 128 people on this thing and they're all looking at me like they're angry at me. Like I'm the one who's responsible. And so my immediate snarky 19 year old self asked that gentleman to sit down. He did, but he looked at me, he says, well, fine, but we are not going to have a good time. You cannot make us laugh. We will not enjoy this. And so I looked at this and I said, okay, I, in my mind, my snarky 19-year-old says, oh, this is just another argument to win, right? I'm going to win this argument. I'm just not going to give them a good tour. I'm not going to point things out. I'm not going to uh, uh, show them different things that, 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 are, they would, that they'd pay to see. I'm not going to do that. And then in the front row of the second car was a family from the Midwest who was completely sunburned like everybody else because of the time in the sun. And, and they had big smiles on their face. And they had T-shirts from the football team that they liked so I could see where they were from. But they were smiling at me. And I looked at them and I didn't realize that in a split second, I just made a decision like, wow, instead of giving a really snarky tour, I'm going to give this family the best tour I can because they're there to have a good time. And so that's what I did. And I began to give that tour to them. Slowly but surely, the people around them came along on the tour, and they all started laughing. By the end of the tour, everybody was having a good time and laughing, except for the, the, the grumpy leader. But it was amazing to me that I didn't even know I had that in me. I didn't know that in a pressure situation, I pivoted from being this kid who wanted to get back at this group to somebody who wanted to to make these four people happy because they were smiling. And so the group said goodbye to me. They were very friendly, but the family waited to, to speak to me. The father looked at me and said, son, you really turned that group around because they were not happy. And I looked at the family and I said, no, you turned them around. You, your smiles gave me permission to, to switch completely to a different attitude. And I said, I, and I was going to have a completely different tour. It was not going to be friendly. It was not going to be nice. But instead, I gave that tour. And the mother, I can feel her hand to this day, puts her hand on my shoulder. She said, well, I want to thank you for choosing to give us that tour. Because well, we can never afford to be in California again. This is the only time. And this just made our vacation. Wow. So I, I had no idea the power that I had even as a tour guide doing my job to on these people's life. It's an amazing story, Kevin, isn't it? You think about the whole principle behind what makes people tick. You could have changed and made a bad day for dozens of people, right? Oh, so many. And myself included, because what I didn't see until the end there was one of my supervisors getting off the back row of the tram because he, he was auditing me to see how well I was doing. So you can imagine where my career would have gone. And it's a good, good, good idea for uh, everything in life. You know, you don't know who's listening sometimes. But in this case, it was a, it was a lesson to me that 
I and the word she said chose that stuck with me for a long time. So I started trying to understand what's happening <clears throat> in pressure situations where you can pivot from one attitude to another one in a split second under pressure. And what I realized, and I started doing so much more research on this, which was the uh, one of the genesis of the book, is I, I started making notes on throughout my entire career as to how people handle different situations. What I particularly love about the story, because you tell it in the book, is you've described throughout the book, actually, this whole kind of neurological response to how people deal with communication, except you've done it from a non-medical, non-textbook perspective and used your own life choices and experiences in playing it back for people to understand in simple terms, right? Yes, absolutely. Because I think that it, when I was trying to, I had a, uh, I started my own restaurant company after that, uh, uh, did a bunch of stuff, then, then started my company. And I realized, okay, I'm learning this stuff myself, how I can manage any particular situation. I can handle pressure. Now, how do I teach my, my, my team how to do that? How do I teach other people how to handle these situations? And, and you use a really important segment there, a non-medical, a non-academic uh, language, so that it was easy for people to grasp and they could see it. Rather than sounding like, oh, I'm going to use these fancy words, I, I want to use everyday language so that it made sense in everyday situations. And I guess that's where the whole notion of big brain, little brain comes from, right? Exactly. Well, and I did enough research to where I started asking everybody uh, and friends of mine, physicians, stuff like that. And, you know, they, they, they it really came, comes down to, you know, uh, when people drink, their their big brain gets cut off from their little brain. The, the little brain is that reptilian um, fight or flight brain. And the, the big brain is that neocortex, all the smart stuff that we know, we know what the right thing is. And what you realize is different influences, whether they're chemical or environmental, have an impact on the way we communicate. Our communication is in constant state of evolution. We're learning from the people around us. But one of the things I noticed and I started really understanding is that the big brain is that brain that's in control. It's genuine, it's thoughtful, it's, it's a kind, it's a good listener, and it builds trust when you communicate with the big brain. The little brain is that impulsive, sarcastic, snarky, selfish, the brain that snaps back at, 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 at just a slightest provocation and a really poor listener, and it creates mistrust. And the, the, the difference between these two worlds is you're going to have a peaceful life or you're going to have a life that's going to have a lot of bumps of chaos in it. And little brain will create chaos where big brain uh, will try to come in and clean it up. But if you use your big brain to begin with, you have a much smoother path ahead. One of the things you said at the top of the show really interested me, actually, and it plays on that whole notion of how you read people before you read books. And that's kind of ironic because it turns out that you are dyslexic <laughs> and therefore actually you had to rely more on your unconscious behaviors playing out and reading people than you would have done perhaps working around text and stuff how much of that did you notice was developing into something over time you know so much in growing up that's exactly what i did and one of the things that i got really good at reading uh, and, and again i didn't read my first book until i was 21 uh, and I was uh, convincing from a friend of mine because I was just so frustrated with, 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 the, with the words and everything. But what I got really good was reading tone. 
And I, and I realized how important tone was to every communication. And tone is very difficult in the digital age because I don't think emojis quite give you the tone that they're intended. And so what I really got to learn was how much the tone is the message of what you're saying. Because you can say the same words in a different tone and they mean something completely different. Right. I walked into my house one time and there were I 19 hour day. I just want to get, get, get in there, sit down and, and, and grab some water and relax. And there's 25 choir kids jumping up and down and singing at the top of their lungs. I had known about this meeting, but I opened the door and it's like, okay, what have we got going here? Right. That's, <laughs> that's what I said. Cause I had trained myself in situations, but can you imagine if I walked in and went, okay, what do we have going here? Same exact words, but the message to the audience is completely different. And I can tell you, my daughters appreciated the first tone because that's the one I used. And it really, what you really understand, especially as a parent, but also with employees, the tone is the message. And if you can control your tone, you can control the conversation. You can, you can maneuver any conversation. And the most important part of that is that tone is usually the first thing that begins to escalate in a conversation that turns it into a confrontation. Yeah. And if you, if you can control, I had four older brothers, I had to get good at this. Right. So I, I got really good at, at managing my tone and pulling other people into my tone instead of following them into their little brain. Tone. And you call out in the book, actually, little brain activators and big brain boosters, right? Yes, that's, that's correct. Yeah. Got it. So what are they and how would we use them? Well, little brain, and in the book, we have the little brain words in that, but it really comes down to, um, your what people think about you is the last impression that you made on them. So if you're thinking about, oh, I want to use this company uh, and uh, for for doing some editing or something, and you're thinking, oh, you know what? Let me think about which company. And you go to that company, and your your first thought is going to be the last impression that that person made on you, not the first impression, but the last impression. So if the last impression was that person's rude or disrespectful or abrasive, you're going to be switching to, you know what, let me, let me look at somebody else. Because what happens is in, in, when we get activated, and it could be something as minor as somebody uh, disrespecting our favorite football team. And all of a sudden we think, well, I have, I have to fight for my football team and I have to say something back. Or it could be cutting off in traffic. Somebody cuts you off and you say, oh, I have, I have to go after them. Or just somebody being uh, loud in a movie theater. And I think that these are all little everyday situations that if we allow them to annoy us, it gives big, gives little brain a lot of power over what we're going to say. So the idea is, yes, there's going to be things that annoy you and bother you every day. And it could be all these little things. It could be anything at work. It could be things that have been piling up. But if you allow any of these everyday situations to turn that annoyance into a confrontation, then it's because you haven't taken control of that moment. And that's the whole idea by big brain, little brain is keep big brain in control, keep little brain out of the conversation. I remember when we first met Kevin, we talked about this whole notion. One of the things that I found really inspirational is your ability to what you call find neutral. And often that's the bit between where people are activated, triggered other language in other walks of life and that emotional response kicks in, is often then too late to tap into your big brain. But you find this bit in the middle called neutral. 
And I think that's a really essential part then, isn't it? Of how we then learn how to, to respond, right? Exactly. And as we mature, we get better at it. And the more we use neutral, the, the more natural it becomes for us. In these situations like where, you know, I walked in and I got surprised or, or you get surprised at work with, with somebody ambushes you with a report you, you, they want you to do anything. But if you get, if, if you can get to neutral and, you know, Viktor Frankl, who survived four different concentration camps, wrote 29 books on human behavior. He had the best line on this. He said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. Right. Yeah. Very much like I chose to give a better tour. I got, and I didn't even know about Viktor Frankl at the time, uh, but it, we have a choice no matter what pressure we're under. Whatever somebody has done, somebody's poking us or provocating us, we still have a choice. And we talk about the fight or flight brain all the time and media and stuff like that. Oh, it's fight or flight. But it's much deeper than that. There's, an, there's another part of that whole idea is neutral. Between fight and flight, there is neutral. And, between, and neutral is where you get to pivot and decide where you're going to go. And flight doesn't always mean running away. Sometimes it means stepping out of the way of a problem. And and fighting doesn't mean you're always going to be confrontational as much as you're you're going to stand up for yourself if you need to. But the idea behind getting to neutral and having a neutral word and my neutral word, as you heard, is OK. Right. And I, I, I practice saying OK in in a very positive tone of voice, because even if no matter when I'm surprised, I'm going to use my neutral word or my neutral phrase and. We give a whole examples in the book, but I know other people have their own. One of people keep sending me their neutral words. One of them is already or oh, really or interesting or gosh. And the thing, any of these phrases or whatever one people have, and I believe everybody has their own neutral word already. They just don't see it as a tool. And it, it is a wonderful tool because if you can get to neutral under pressure, it, it's an immediate awareness that, oh, I had better not let my little brain finish this conversation because it's going to create a problem for me that I got to clean up. That's, I got to bring my brain brain into here to, to finish this off. That's what neutral is. And the more you use neutral, the more you use that neutral word, the, the better you're going to be because it's going to make you stronger and stronger. So the importance of having a neutral word is really essential, isn't it? Because without it, I guess you would then trigger more little brain activators. Yes, exactly. And I think that what will happen is you, you, you fall into a, a little brain cycle of, oh, what's the next little brain thing I can use or say if you don't realize? Because the neutral gives you the awareness that you need in that moment where if you could just some you ha use your little brain, somebody else is going to respond with their little brain. And you just get into a little brain cliche war of talking back and forth and you get completely off topic and you get away from even uh, the conversation you were in. You get more into a reactionary comment. And without that, can you still get into neutral or does access to big brain become really difficult? No, you can get into neutral at, at any point. And it, I think that if let's say you, you've, you've gone down the road a little bit and you made one or two little snarky comments, it, as soon as you become aware of that, you can go, oh, you know, I, I probably shouldn't have said it like that. Let me let me rephrase that. Let me go back. And that's where a little brain, I mean, big brain takes over because it really does. You're constantly evolving in, in that conversation. You're constantly going to have different moments of awareness. But if you can know that your neutral word is uh, I see or, oh, really? Or 
you, you want to take some time and let's say somebody puts pressure on you. Well, what do you think right now? And in, in the book, we have a section where we talk about time parachutes. Give me a little time before you answer a question. And, you know, one of the things, you know, th- that that I don't like to do is when I'm under somebody pushes me, answer this now. Right. I go, you know, what? I need I need a little more time to ponder that. I need that's a really interesting thing. Let me let me think about that. Let me give that. Let me give that some more thought. Let me give it the, the thought it deserves. Something like a time parachute gets you out of a lot of sticky situations when you get into them. And I think it's it's one of those graceful exits uh, that, that keeps you out of little brain. It also gets you straight to neutral. Yes, exactly. And it, it's, yeah. it's a tone of voice. Uh, is, I never realized how critical it was. But if you watch any, any movie or any TV, you'll see how manipulative tone can be. So in the virtual world, how have you seen this change? So obviously you can hear tone, but I wondered if you could see tone through the way people are typing or the way that they are using emojis in in the digital world. It's a great question. It's more difficult now than ever because uh, tone is usually uh, decided by the person uh, reading the, the, the message. Right. So whatever mood they're in, they're going to decide the tone that you wrote that in, whether it's not that tone or, or not. And which is why I always tell people if they get a little brain email from somebody or a little brain text from somebody, instead of trying to out little brain them or get out comment them in a text, pick up the phone and just say, you know what? Or say, just say, you know what? Can, can we talk? You know, can we have a conversation? Break away from from that medium into a different medium so you can really have the time because the, the it's hard to read tone in, in in text it's just it's almost impossible but some people are really good at it but most people when it comes to the the quickness of communication today i think the internet has made everybody so fast and impulsive in and how quick they think they need to respond and one of the things we discuss is no you don't need to respond right away Give yourself some time, process some of the comments, especially in a, in a business environment or even a family environment where you get an email where somebody was obviously upset or frustrated. You know, it's it's a good idea to ponder for a little bit before you respond to that. And it really is go to neutral and, and think, what's the best response I can have for this person in this moment and in, in this particular communication? I'd never really joined the dots together, actually, in so much as when you receive written word, you read it in your own emotive state. Of course you do. But actually now you've said it out loud, it makes loads of sense. And that's why lots of people read the same text and get a different message, right? Yes, absolutely. And I've, I've uh, been the, the uh, guilty party on several of those uh, over the years. And I think that one of the things, and I've also been the receiver of so many where I look at something now and I, I really, I, I really trained myself and I think that when it comes to communication, we have to constantly be in a state of, of improving, evolving, and training ourselves to get better. We have to practice our, our verbal muscle memory, really, to, to get better at how we respond to different things. And I, I'm really I'm grateful that I've had the time to sort of focus on this for the last several years. And to help that muscle memory as well, in the book, you call out some little brain baggage words. <laughs> I just wonder if you could share to our listeners what they are and how we could maybe use them to help our communication. Yeah, well, we call out in the book, there's there's seven different areas of communication where all these uh, different uh, principles show up that I talk about, whether it's control, tone, words, time, responsibility, power, and awareness. These are the seven areas where all these things can show up. But little brain, again, little brain, the, these baggage words is the last impression you made. 
and it's the last thing you said or the last interaction you had with that person. And so you, you if and if your little brain, you're going to have under control, you're going to rude and and you may have undertone, you may have disrespectful and words abrasive. People know this stuff. They remember this. They remember the little brain component of, of your last communication more than they remember the big brain component because they'll remember if you were uh, uh, immature or snarky. They'll remember that. They, and and a big brain, you know, bag, legacy words, you know, they, they, you've, you've got to work harder to make people remember those whether it's sincerity or trusting or welcoming, considerate. You know, it is two different uh, worlds when it comes to what people think about you. And it really is, you know, essentially your reputation is online with every communication that you do. To your knowledge and experience, is the reason why we can remember little brain words more because it sits in the emotional part of our brain rather than the logical part of our brain? Absolutely. It, and again, uh, with tone, but a lot of these words are how how they make us feel, and and the negative feelings are definitely more prominent, and 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 it sits there a little bit longer. And you know, I think that you can erase these words. By the way, you can get rid of the 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 the, the negative little brain baggage words by recognizing, oh, with this person, the last time I talked to them, I think I was a little bit rude. So next time I talk to them, I'm going to start off with, you know what? Hey, by the way, apologize for last time. I, I think I was a little snarky or something. You, you can just take it away. And that's the beautiful thing about any anybody that you've had a difficult communication with. You can go back and look where you may have made a mistake and you can you can undo it. You can erase it by by by, by going in and literally addressing it and dealing with it so that they can say, oh, yeah, OK, I, I remember that. But he said something. And he's, he apologized or they, they said, oh, yeah, it was for a different reason. The idea is you, you, you always have control over this communication. Even if you said something wrong, you can go back and fix it. So I guess falling into the trap of little brain language, little brain words and baggage words, that's natural behavior because we've learned that way of doing things and we've learned a response set in response to different emotions or events. So how can we make sure that we are spending more time in the big brain? Well, I think the first thing you can do is every day um, you can take a look at where you're at and recognize that you get up in the morning and go, okay, what's going on today? Um, are you, is anything wrong physically? Is there anything bothering you emotionally? Is there any, what, what is, can, what are some of the outside influences that might be controlling you today? And so if you go through that and go, yeah, you know what? Um, I got this report due and I, I'm, I, I'm under anxiety. Just go through. And there's a whole list in the book that people just check them off. There's eight little areas, check them off to make sure that if you know, you've got something, a, a situation that's going to go into little brain, you know, that going, going in, which means you can stay in big brain much longer. And it really is a daily checklist making sure you can do that. The, and the, the other thing I think is the most important thing is every day wake up with the idea that if you control your tone, you control your life. Mm, I like that. Very powerful though. Same words, different tone, different outcome. Yeah. Different outcome completely. And that's the greatest lesson because, you know, it, I've seen it so many times and I've given so many presentations to different groups and, and, and you, you, you watch sometimes when you talk about neutral, you saw, you see, you see light bulbs go off and you, and you, I have people practice their tones. I go, okay, say this word in an angry tone. Now, now say this word in a pleasant tone. 
And you, when you really use a little bit of tone training, all of a sudden you get people immediately become aware. Oh, and it's because we're not taught this in school or when we were growing up, we gather our information and communication by the environments we're in. And if the environment doesn't teach us, then we've got to go out and find it somewhere else. So here's the thing. It's a really interesting point you just come across actually and i've had this conversation with a number of people over time what's the reason we don't teach this stuff at school you know i think interpersonal communication uh is sometimes seen as it's not academic and it's not something that that people have paid attention to my local school district is beginning to pay attention to because you know everybody's talking about mindfulness right well mindfulness begins with the way you communicate and I, I'm pushing them to to do something along the lines of getting people to communicate. And again, not, not just about, you know, um, how to handle confrontations or or things like that, but really how to communicate more effectively. And I think they just from an academic standpoint, they're looking at their curriculum and they're that's all they have time to to deal with. So it's outside the curriculum where and I, I, I speak at a school every year locally here. Uh, to this group of kids because they want this message for their for that group and it's it's outside the curriculum but it's inside the school and it really it, it's really beginning to help i think it would be wonderful if more people could do this because you're right there i just think that the academic world is not their fault as much as they're not necessarily aware of this and even my book isn't going to be seen by an academic culture as oh yeah we can just even though it's laid out where you can teach this, it's going to be, they have to understand it's not um, based upon a, some academic uh, school. It's, this is street psychology. This is observational life psychology. And and it's not about uh, white coats and, and animals testing or, or putting uh, wires on people. This is everyday life. And it's, it's more difficult for people to accept. And ironically, the more academia we have, it's put into work in everyday life, which is the where the rubber really hits the road. So actually what you have in absolute terms is the effect of all of that psychology going on, which I think is why it plays out so well. Yeah, I think it does. And I think that that's why we have to we have to always understand that we're evolving in our communication every day and in every situation and in every environment we're in. And, uh, and and we can get better at it. And I think that everybody has um, the ability to get better at communicating. And I think that's going to be the challenge. I think that one of my favorite um, uh, stories is my own story where, you know, I got, I'm, I got much better at tone after my five-year-old daughter taught me a lesson when I was under a Christmas tree trying to put up some lights. And I saw her walking up the steps of a ladder and I said, Caitlin, get down from there. Right. And she did. She kept walking up and I yelled again, Caitlin, get down from there. Raise my voice. Right. And I get out from the tree and I'm about to launch a very louder, angry tone. And and she looks at me and she's got an angel in her hand. She wants to put it on top of the tree. I, I did not see that, <laughs> which is a metaphor for life. We don't see everything that, you know, that we react to. And I, I looked at her and she looks at me and, she, and I said, Caitlin, it's dangerous. You've got to get down from there. And this five-year-old looks at me. She goes, I like that tone better, daddy. Wow. Wow. How interesting is that? Yeah, because if we're tuning into our kids, they're they're much more pure in their communication. They're much cleaner in their communication. They're not muddled by, by all the other extra words. They know they know what they're reading. They're reading tone. So it's it's a wonderful lesson for me. It was a wonderful lesson and it still is. Yeah. But it really comes down to we're constantly evolving. 
And don't ever think that we've learned enough to where we don't have to learn anymore about communicating. This is everyday communication. We still have to get better at it. And it'll always be evolving because the world's changing. The way we communicate changes. The medium in which we do so changes and in therefore our response to it. So it'll always be something that's new and fresh for us to get into, right? Exactly. And it's, I'm, I'm so grateful we got podcasts like yours that, that, that are out there to get the word out to more people. Because I think it's I think podcasts have been one of the greatest things that the digital generation has created. That more uh, information, more sources of, of good information where people want to take the time to listen. The idea that there's taking the time to listen to a podcast, they're not just looking at something on a screen, but they're listening is fantastic because if we can, we have to train people to listen more. And I, because that's when they start thinking things through when, uh, when they're listening. Yeah. Superb. And thanks for endorsing our podcast as well. And the genre, because I'm with you, right? This is a means to help people and grow people's awareness. And actually, the more we can do that collectively as an entire community, then the better. Yeah, absolutely. And this is my goal is to get have, get the entire world to neutral for a while. Yeah. You know, so, so, so we can pivot and be more productive. So I'm going to ask you to step into neutral as we now pivot into the next part of our show. Okay. So this is part of the show where we start to tap into your broad and extensive leadership career. <laughs> and I'm looking for you to kind of tap into all of that experience and, and think about what, what would be the top three leadership hacks you could share with our audience? Uh, probably the most, one of the most important is, is something that came out of a situation again, um, where I had employees not talking to each other and they was, they weren't, they were grunting and I, finally sat one of them down and said, listen, there's a meeting coming up. Uh, the other person's not going to be here. I want you to say three uh, things that that person does really well at the end of the meeting and then the end of the meeting. And he did a wonderful job of doing that. And the next day after that meeting where the, the person who he wasn't speaking to wasn't there, but the next day he walked in and all of a sudden that person was speaking to him and being very friendly. And what we noticed is that without her being there, he used what we now have labeled as good gossip. Good gossip is one of the greatest leadership hacks ever because you can strategically use it. It has to be honest, otherwise it won't work. But it's strategically talking nice about somebody or saying nice about somebody behind their back because it does multiple things. It not only will, in, in today's world, it gets back to everybody. There are no secrets anymore. You can't whisper. It doesn't make a difference. People just turn up the sound. And when it comes to, to that internal communication of a company or anything, gossip is a, is a cancer where good gossip is a cure. Fantastic. Because if you can say nice things about people behind their back, it not only makes that person feel good because they'll hear it, but it makes the people that are listening to you trust you because now they can, oh, that's really cool that they're saying something nice about somebody because that elevates their trust level in that mm. person. So I would say definitely say one of my hacks would be good gossip because it's absolutely incredibly powerful and incredibly useful. Uh, the next thing I would say is uh, control your tone. You know, it is probably the most important thing and practice your, uh, your tone. And I think that, you know, realize that no matter what situation you're in, you always have a choice. You always have a choice. You don't have to do or say anything. You, you, you always have a choice. That's what it's going to be to understand and really use these words. Say to yourself, 
how I communicate is who I am. And because how you communicate is who you are. And if you can understand that how you communicate and that the words you use today are going to be with you forever, especially in this environment we're in where everybody's got a recording device on their hip, the words you use today will follow you forever. So choose the words you want to follow you. I love those. I particularly love the good gossip. I think it's just a great notion and, uh, and will drive so many positive outcomes. I, we, I saw it work and we still see it work so often. And again, it's not, it, it's watch it even amongst your own friends and watch how they respond when you're talking good about somebody who's not there. And it's, it's, it's a way we can train uh, people to use good gossip because it travels the same path as gossip. Exactly but it has completely different and much more productive results. So the next part of the show, we call it hack to attack. So this is typically where something hasn't worked out as well as you'd thought and would work out, or maybe it's quite catastrophic, but as a result of it, there is a learning experience for you and it's now a positive in your life or work. So what would be your hack to attack, Kevin? Well, I think that the, the thing that has taught me the most um, is standing behind the counter at the restaurant for the first seven years and realizing um, because I was so good at winning arguments, you know, customers would come in and they would, they would um, um, say something and I know I'm right. All right. I know that they ordered the food wrong or something. And I kept trying to win the argument with the customer. And only to realize is it's not that the customer is always right. They're not. And I don't want to throw employees under the bus paying, Oh, you know, the customer's always right there. The customer is not always right. But in the pressure of the moment, the customer actually believes that they're right. And I learned that lesson a couple of times when, when I was trying to win the argument and I saw people storm out and I realized, gosh, how do I get that person back? I don't want to win the argument. I want to win that moment. I want to win that person back. So that, that was part of the genesis of, of what we're talking about is that, that I had to learn that winning the argument is sometimes losing. And, and it's not that the customer is always right. Again, they're not. It, the customer believes, though, in that moment that they're right. And you have to bring them back. You have to bring them back to, to your reality because we're in the hospitality business. We're in the business of bringing people back to life. I realized when I was behind the counter that I'm in the business of serving people with low blood sugar. <laughs> yeah, it's true, actually, right? <laughs> right? So they walk in, they're hungry. So, and so they're not necessarily uh, mentally exactly who they normally want to be. And so if you get anything wrong, but it, they, they can go, it's physiological. They, they're hungry. So what I learned is, oh, okay, there's a physiological state here that I'm dealing with. I have to train all my people how to deal with people in this age because our job is to bring people back i want to bring as many people back it was a situation in a restaurant where a customer got completely out of control and we were able to bring her back and to the point where she apologized and what i tell my employees right now i said look the word restaurant comes from the word restaurant it's a french word Right. And it comes from a 1765, a guy named Boulanger in Paris is the story that Marion Webster puts out there. Uh, couldn't get into any of the food unions. So he created his own little soup and stews place and he put a sign in his window. Come in, you weary traveler, and my, my, my stews will restore you. 
And it's the perfect idea of what the restaurant business is all about. I think any business really, people are looking to be restored. They're looking for something to make them feel good, whether it's listening or whether it's eating, they, they looking for something to make them feel good. So they're going to come back to something that makes them feel good. I'm in the business of restoring people. They come in, they're hungry. Uh, they, they, somebody was angry at work. Our job is to send them back out restored. And I really, uh, my employees have done a wonderful job of doing that for 37 years. And what's made Paquito Mass so successful, Kevin, is you put communication at the heart of all of that, right? Uh, absolutely. Communication and, and, and honesty and freshness and just knowing that your customers are human uh, and your employees are human. And you know what? You're going to work with whatever situation comes up. It'll, it will be fine. And yeah. you know, I'm, I'm never, I, I can't say I'm not surprised, but I'm not shocked by many things anymore. <laughs> Now, the last part of the show, we get to give you a chance to do some time travel. You get to bump into Kevin at 21 and you get to give him some advice. So what would it be? Listen more than you speak because you will learn so much more and you will know what to say when you do speak. Because my 21-year-old self was not a great listener. And I think that listening was probably the one lesson that I learned gave me the most insight. Uh, and I think that it would be, do that. Listen and, and don't be in a hurry. Really powerful words. Really powerful. Love it. Now, having listened to you today and knowing all the great work you do, Big Brain, Little Brain, by the way, is a great read. It's packed full of tools and traps, you call it. So if folks will listen to this, I wanted to get a copy of the book or wanted to learn a little bit more about your work, Kevin, where's the best place for us to send them? Uh, bigbrainlittlebrain.com and you can go to Kevin at little, bigbrainlittlebrain.com and I return all my emails um, and if they want, uh, you can click on the link in the, and get to Amazon to buy a book and please leave a review good or bad, leave a review whatever you feel about it, I think it's the most important thing right now is to get the word out to people. And of course unless you're in California, you're unlikely to bump into Poquito Mas. Yes, absolutely Poquito Mas is in LA, we've got eight locations uh, we've been around, like I said, uh, 37 years and we make everything from scratch every day, uh, every tortilla, everything. So, uh, we're, it's, it's good. It's good food. And, you know, we're still in business and I feel grateful that we've, we've survived this, this last year and a half. And I know that no matter what's ahead of us, we'll, we'll deal with it. Yeah. Kevin, thank you ever so much for sharing your stories and helping us all find our neutral word. I think that's the goal for the day and sharing your wider experience with us. And just thanks for being part of our community on the Leadership Hacker podcast. Well, Steve, I can't thank you enough for doing this. I've listened to your stuff and it's just such so healthy to listen to a program like this. It's just, it's healthy. And so I, I appreciate you're here. And I appreciate you too. Thanks, Kevin. All right, sir. I genuinely want to say a heartfelt thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in too. We do this in the service of helping others and spreading the word of leadership. Without you listening in, there would be no show. So please subscribe now if you haven't done so already. Share this podcast with your communities and network and help us develop a community and a tribe of leadership hackers. And finally, if you'd like me to work with your senior team, your leadership community, keynote an event, or you would like to sponsor an episode, please connect with us via our social media. And you can do that by following and liking our pages on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle there is at Leadership Hacker. Instagram, you can find us there at the 
underscore leadership underscore hacker and at YouTube we're just leadership hacker. So that's me signing off. I'm Steve Rush and I've been the leadership hacker.